Matthew 13 and 44, Jesus gives what in, in my estimation is the quintessential teaching on the kingdom of God. If you want to know what is the kingdom of God, this has got to be the shortest and yet most power-packed definition. And it comes from the king. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then he covered it up and for joy went and sold everything that he had, came back and bought the field. And so that's Jesus' explanation of the kingdom of God. And, uh, but the secret to that teaching is in the parts. First of all, the treasure. The treasure is Jesus. The treasure has always been Jesus. The treasure will always in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power is of God, not of us. So Jesus, in all of his, his authority, in all of his capacity, in our life, he is the treasure that's hidden in the field. But what is the field? The field is the kingdom of God because Jesus had said, I'm going to teach you the kingdom of God. So in this explanation, he actually tells you. The, the field should be interpreted as the, as the kingdom of God. So you have the treasure in the field, that's Jesus, and you have Jesus in his environment. The field is the environment of Jesus Christ. And what is the king's environment but the kingdom? So the intent of Jesus' message was all about making clear to us that the treasure and the field are inseparable. Remember, the man finds the treasure, which is like being born again. I found Jesus. Years ago, they had that slogan, the bumper sticker, I found it. I found Jesus. So the man finds the treasure. He's born again. And, but he goes and sells all that he has. He's prompted by finding Jesus to go sell all that he has. And if he has sold and liquidated his estate, he's got to live somewhere, right? So he comes back and does what? He buys the field. To have the treasure, you must buy the field. If you want the Savior, you must buy the kingdom. So the intent of Jesus' message is to show that the kingdom <clears throat> and the Lord are inseparable. It is impossible to have Jesus without selling off everything and relocating to his kingdom. But for the purpose of our message this morning, I'd like to... I'd like to take that enough to another level and say it's impossible to have Jesus' power without living under his authority. Would, would that be fair? He finds the treasure, the power of God. But you cannot have the power active in your life if you're not willing to relocate to the kingdom, which is living under Jesus' authority. Jesus said... When Nicodemus came to him and wanted to know about the kingdom of God, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because if you're not born again, you can neither see, much less enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus' teaching about initially seeing the kingdom of God is that you have to be born into it. And we went over that last week. But after you're born, where are you going to abide? When you leave here today, um, you're probably not going to go back to the place where you were born. Because after birth, we do what? We go out. We go forth. We live a life. 
And uh, so hopefully as a Christian, we're not at the place we were when we first got saved. But where are we? Jesus said a lot about abiding. And abiding is the first rule in kingdom authority. And we're going to be talking about kingdom authority today and next week. I have four things that I want to say about kingdom authority. I'm going to share two of them this morning and two of them next week. And the first is that abiding is the number one primary rule of the kingdom. Abiding in the kingdom is where authority comes from. Let me say it again. Authority comes from abiding or living in the kingdom. And remember, Jesus' parable made it very clear that you cannot live in the kingdom if you haven't sold everything and bought the field and bought the kingdom. And you sell everything, as we said, I think, a couple of weeks ago, not so that you can pay the price for the kingdom, because Jesus pays the price, he's the treasure, but so that you can make room for the kingdom. You cannot have two worlds living side by side in your life. So abiding in the kingdom is where authority comes from. But born-again Christians, people that are saved, people that have found the treasure, but they don't go and sell all and buy the field. And there is such a thing. And, and that probably accounts for the majority of people who have gotten saved in this life. Uh, Born-again Christians who don't abide, live moment by moment, consistently, their life is literally lived in the kingdom under the authority of Jesus. If you don't abide as a born-again Christian in the kingdom, you lack authority. There's a lack of authority in the lives of believers. So Satan concentrates his greatest effort at getting you to slip out from underneath Jesus' authority and lordship and to live your own life of independent will and impulse. So he's constantly trying to get us to live by our own impulses. How many of you have ever said or heard someone say, my instincts are pretty good? But that's a relative statement, isn't it? Because it's relative to the world. But when it, when it, uh, the day is going to come when you're going to need to overcome the world. The day is going to come when the world is not going to be your friend. What are you going to do then when the world becomes your enemy? How are you going to fight the world when it turns on you, when all you've done all your life is develop your own instincts, your own experiences? You cannot defeat the world as your enemy with the things that you have learned in the world through your experiences. It can't be done. And so Christians that slip out from underneath the authority of Jesus Christ literally learn to live by their impulses, by their own wits, by their own wisdom. And Satan knows this, and so everything he does, his greatest uh, effort is to try to get you to not live on, in the kingdom, to not live under Jesus' authority. Um, because the devil's only, not his greatest, but his only threat is not from born-again Christians, but from kingdom abiders. Do you know that the only people, and they could be children, that walk the face of the earth that can actually have any impact against the devil are people that abide in the kingdom. Whether you're 15 or 75, if you abide in the kingdom, then you potentially can disrupt Satan's activity. But if you don't, there's not a thing you can do against the enemy. And listen, it took a soldier, took a military man with a military mind to understand Jesus' kingdom authority. We all remember Jesus' encounter with the, with the centurion 
who said, My servant is at home sick. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus said to the centurion, I will come and heal him. Or I'm sorry, the, the centurion just simply told him what the problem was. He didn't ask him to come heal him. And um, Jesus said, well, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I too, notice he didn't say for I'm a man under authority. He said I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, no one in Israel has had faith like this. I have not found anyone in Israel that has faith like this. So, it's really something when you can make the Son of God marvel. Think of everything he has seen. And he marveled at this. And he marveled that among his, quote, people, there wasn't anybody that had faith like this man. What was it that he marveled at? Was it his, the fact that his belief system was stronger or that he had a stronger focus in his faith? It was none of those things. What Jesus marveled at was the fact that the centurion understood the nature of Jesus' kingdom authority and he saw Jesus abiding in the chain of command. And it was the orientation of the man's faith under the concept of the chain of command, authority, that gave him the kind of faith that Jesus said, I haven't found anyone in Israel that operates in this kind of faith. So specifically, it is the authority. It is the authority that actually produces faith that moves mountains and has an impact in this life. You know, um, when the centurion said, I too am a man under authority, the reason I emphasize that is obvious that he saw Jesus as being under authority. When he saw Jesus going around and casting out devils, he didn't think in his mind, Oh, wow, here's a, here's a gifted individual, or oh, here's a mighty prophet, or oh, this, about this, they should rent the arena, rent out the arena, and, and, and bring all the people in and let this guy, you know, uh, work his stuff on him. You know, all of that kind of um, celebrity attitude. We're always looking for celebrities, we're always looking for heroes. But what the centurion saw was he saw the chain of command. He knew that's where the power came from. And he simply saw Jesus as being pretty high up, but in the chain of command. He saw him as being directly under Almighty God. This guy was not Jewish, but he was a military man. you got to love that military bearing. And so the reason that Jesus was able to heal everybody in every situation we read about from Matthew to John was that he never did anything outside of the chain of command. Listen to me, because this is, this is really a big point. You don't ever see Jesus going anywhere trying to do something. He doesn't. He just speaks as, and it happens. The reason for that, the reason for the effortless flow of authority is he never stepped out from under the will of the Father. 
Jesus never said, I'm the son of God. I can cast out devils. I can do anything. And let's see, what will my itinerary be? I think I'll do this. I think I'll go down to Jerusalem for a while. Then I'll cut across the Jordan and go visit the... Jesus never held his own meetings. Jesus never um, went and did his own thing. In fact, Jesus himself said, I do nothing but what I see the Father do. I never come out from underneath the leadership of the Spirit. Jesus was led moment by moment. There was never a moment when Jesus allowed himself, now listen, to disengage his awareness from the Holy Spirit. Never once did he just put it on the shelf and say, I'm going to take a little time out. There was, as far as Jesus was concerned, if he wanted to be who he was, do you want to be who you are? Do, do you really want to be the man, be the woman that you really are, that God says you are? You will never do it by slipping in and out of the Holy Spirit. You'll never do it by sometimes seeking the Lord and then other times just walking by your impulse and by your experience, which, by the way, becomes more and more of a problem the older we get, isn't it? Because we learn our habits. You see, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God's authority. I know that Jesus called him the comforter, but why is the Holy Spirit the comforter? Why is he able to comfort us? Because our problem is always due to a lack of authority. Every problem we have, we become fearful, we become anxious, we become frustrated, we sin, we make mistakes. Every one of them, I don't care what you throw at me, I'll tell you today that every condition of lack is a lack of authority, is a result of being out from under authority. And so the reason the Holy Spirit comforts us is because when we submit and surrender to Him, we're brought under the Spirit of God's authority. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God's authority. And so we are insecure. We come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We are under His authority. Even before the circumstances change, we are calm. We're at peace. We're rejoicing. We're thanking God. Why? Because our circumstances got better? No, we're back under authority. Children are well adjusted when they're under authority. You take children out from under authority, you stop using authority in the raising of your children, you stop guiding them with authority, they become insecure. Their boundaries dissolve and they begin to go out and they get knocked around in life. Their friends say something bad against them and things happen and all of a sudden they come home and they're upset. If you don't put your children back under authority, I don't care what you give them, what you buy them, the time you spend with them or any of those other things, if you don't bring them back in the chain of command under authority, they cannot be comforted. And you can take that to the bank. Praise the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God's authority. And let me ask you this morning, Let's run a little test on ourselves today. Is the Holy Spirit moving in this sanctuary this morning able to tell you, don't jump up and run to the bathroom? Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, yeah, that's easy because I don't need to go to the bathroom. But, but just imagine you're in a meeting, just like this, you're in a service, and the impulse, I need to go to the bathroom. Now, as a pastor, I really notice when people jump up and leave a service. So I'm sorry to have to add to your 
nervousness. I know I'm supposed to be comforting everybody, but I really notice those things. And I notice it, and you might, you might be surprised why I notice it. I notice it because I always wonder, are they listening to the Holy Spirit? You say, well, listening to the Holy Spirit's fine, but my bladder's talking right now. But hey, listen to me. If you're not willing to put everything, even the bladder, the urge, the whatever, I got to get out of here, got to clear my head, I got to do this, got to do that. Impulses. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? You can pick up that $5 check at the door after the service. Thank you. That was perfect, perfectly timed. So the answer to that question is, is the Holy Spirit able to tell you, don't get up right now? Really? Is he able to say that to you without you rationalizing it away or allowing your impulsiveness to simply override the Holy Spirit? Because the answer to that question reveals whether you're actually living in the kingdom of God or not. So you should run that test on yourself with everything you do. What are you going to do tomorrow morning on Monday? You say, well, I, you know, that's already kind of worked out for me. I've got my, I've got my habit. I've got my work. I've got, that's fine. God, God is a God of order. But is he Lord over the order of your life? Is he Lord over where you go, when you go, what you do? You would be surprised if you begin to run that test on yourself how much of your life is actually dictated and run by your own impulse and your own rationalization. So that's the first thing that I want to talk about is abiding. Jesus said if you don't abide, you're not going to have authority. If you want kingdom authority, you must abide in the kingdom. You cannot be out from under the kingdom and expect your prayers to be answered or expect to see any kind of authority operating through you when you try to pray, when you try to exercise faith or do any of those other things. The second thing that I want to share, and this will be the last thing that I share this morning, the second point about the kingdom and kingdom authority is that using kingdom authority manifests Jesus. Now, it is important to manifest Jesus. Because 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The only thing that can destroy the works of the devil is the manifestation of Jesus. Let me say it again. It's really simple, but it is, it is worth its weight in gold. The only thing that can destroy the works of the devil, stop for a moment, what, is, what are the works of the devil? Well, you just take Everything that you see going on in the world, everything you deal with, if a cancer is growing in your body, there's the work of the devil. If uh, you see poverty, strife, you see uh, people's inability to cope, you see all of the fruits of the broken down life that sin creates. Those are all areas where the devil's working, where Satan works. And you say, oh, are you saying that everything is of the devil? What I am saying is that the Bible teaches that this present fallen world is the domain of Satan. And whether directly or indirectly, he influences the flow of that world. And everything that happens, every transaction in this world that is not, uh, that is not transacted within the kingdom is available to Satan. Is available to Satan. Every transaction. 
that is not authorized in the kingdom is available to the enemy to operate. So, you know, I'm definitely not one of these people that uh, you're going to hear me running around rebuking everything and by, you know, figuring out where Satan is and what demons are operating in what situation. But don't, don't be fooled because even though we don't get all involved in wrestling with the devil, it's not that we don't understand that he is operating in this world that we're dealing with. So Jesus said, <clears throat> the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Now that is, to me, a powerful statement because most of us would say Jesus was manifest to save the lost. But the fact that they're lost is a work of the devil. Or Jesus was manifest to uh, bring people back to God. Well, the reason they're separated from God, work of the devil. Every single thing that needs to be fixed, work of the devil. Jesus is manifest because guess what? He's the only one who can destroy the works of the devil. You can't get some people saved. You can't get some people uh, to receive Jesus until you have broken Satan's chain over their life. And that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He said, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers lest they should see the light of the gospel and turn to the Lord and repent and be saved. So the works of the devil, we need Christians that not only know how to break Satan's chain. You can't break it by running around and singing the song. Break every chain. Then it's a great song. But you can't go whooping up and down in church and singing and doing all that stuff just to do it and actually destroy the works of the devil. There's only one thing that destroys the work of the devil, and that's the manifestation of Jesus. So I'd be, if I were you right now, I'd be asking, well, what is the manifestation of Jesus? Tell me what it is. Give it to you like the woman at the well. Well, evermore give me this living water that I will never thirst. So if I've just told you that the work of the devil can be destroyed and is destroyed by the manifestation of Jesus, I'd be, I'd be saying, well, give it to me. What is it? The reason why the devil's works are destroyed by the manifestation of Jesus Christ is because Satan has no defense against God's authority. i just let that sink in for a minute. There is no defense against the authority of God. When God aims his authority at the devil, the devil absolutely, he's a deer in the head, he is absolutely consumed with obedience. He cannot resist. The only reason we see the enemy operating is because God has not confronted him. God is giving him space. Why is God giving him space? That's another message. But I would just whet your appetite by saying, God didn't give him space, you did. You, human race, you mankind, you're the one that gave him space, turning your world that God gave you over to him. And now he's running you as he runs your world using your authority. So the point is, the devil has no resistance against the authority of God. And so that's why the, why the manifestation of Jesus kills him. And it's trying, just destroys his works. So is the devil working in your home? Is he working in your family? Is he working in your life? Where do you see him working? Where do you see the works of the devil? Figure out how to manifest Jesus. And I'll guarantee you that, that stuff will stop right now. Amen. Just absolutely that quick too. So when Jesus 
rose from the dead, the last thing the Bible tells us in, in the book of Matthew, when he ascends up, he leaves this word with us. It's the last thing he says. What is it? All authority is given to me in heaven and on the earth. Now stop for a moment. Think about that. All authority. We have rampaging anarchists running through our streets trying to burn our cities down. We have a, a civil war. At least in their minds, they're fighting a civil war. A civil war going on right now in our nation by people who want to destroy this country and rebuild it in whatever image that they've got that they think is, is going to work. We have, um, we have human trafficking. We have uh, a drug trade that for all of our effort and all of our money we've poured into it. We can't seem to stop the flow of it. Why? Because on the consumer side, we can't stop the sucking sound of the, of the human sin that wants drugs. We have all these conditions in this world and we see Satan operating in this world. And Jesus said, all authority is given me in heaven and upon the earth. Now I already shared with you last week, so I'm not going to re-preach or retrace my steps, but we live in a period, this grace period, where we have an overlapping kingdoms, kingdom of darkness and the emerging kingdom of God through faith in his people who are buying the field. And that, I'm trying to talk you into buying the field. I'm, I'm not even going to, I have no shame about it. I am trying to convince everyone under the sound of my voice, buy the field. You found the treasure, buy the field. Go all the way. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. Don't mess around. Don't just be a born-again Christian. Be a kingdom abider. We need people with authority. We don't need the seven sons of Sceva. You remember in the book of Acts, seven sons of Sceva, there was, a, there was a Jewish priest of all things, preacher, seven sons, and they were in the demon casting out business, but they were not under Jesus' authority. They had not received him as Lord. And so they got up one day and they went and found the town demoniac, and they, they got him and managed to drag him into their house and started pronouncing the name of Jesus over him because they saw Paul and the other uh, Christians casting out devils in the name of Jesus. And so these seven boys figured they'd try it. And don't you know that the town demoniac busted out some kung fu on them, tore them up, and they ran out of the house naked and wounded. All of them, that's something. That's something, all of them, beat up and bleeding and naked, running out of the house. I wonder sometimes if our attempts to pray and, and tear the devil apart in the spirit realm, we don't look like the seven sons of Skibu just had our lunch handed to us. It, it is embarrassing what we must look like sometimes trying to use authority that we don't have. And the only reason we don't have it is not because we don't have the treasure. We found the treasure. He's got a hold of us, but we're not living with him. We're dating. And I told you, Jesus, don't date. So we're not living in the field. We just visit from time to time. But the kingdom of God's not a timeshare. You have to sell all and live there. Mo remember, moment by moment, if you're not able to sit there, even though you have to go to the bathroom, when the Holy Spirit says, not the pastor, but the Holy Spirit says, not now, just wait. Because listen, what I see when I see people pop up and go running around is, I know what's coming out of my mouth next. And it's exactly what they needed to hear. And the devil made sure that they got up and got out before they heard 
And I'll tell you what, if I had five bucks, I wouldn't be driving that broken down 04 Honda Pilot, which I do praise God for and love my vehicle. But I'd have something big, shiny, and new. Five bucks for every single time I've seen somebody right at the moment when God was wanting to say something, poof, out they go, impulse. Now, I know Christians do not live under kingdom authority. And then they want authority when prayer meeting time comes. Then they want authority when it's time to pray. No, it doesn't work like that. There's not going to be a bit of power. You can, you know, shake him a shack, devil jump back, all you want to. And quote every verse you want to quote. Nothing is going to happen. Nothing. Because you don't have any authority. You don't live under the kingdom. You don't have authority. Simple as that. So, Christians who abide in the kingdom have the king's authority. And those that abide in the kingdom, they, they know who they represent. Now, I know every Christian says, oh, I believe in Jesus. I know who I represent. But these guys that, that live in the kingdom, they know, deep, abiding, bone-soaking, know who they represent. And they also know what they have. You remember in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter uh, 3, when Peter's going up to the, to the temple and there's the lame man who was born lame and is looking at Peter wanting to beg for money. And Peter looks back at him and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he grabs by the hand, the man jumped up. Never walked a day in his life, so he not only got healed, but he got a walking lesson instantly. <laughs> Takes kids a while, but no training wheels. This guy gets up, and, he, and he's not just walking, he's dancing. The Bible says he danced into the house of God. So Peter said, what I have, I give you. Now listen to me very carefully. Peter was filled with the authority of the kingdom. We think he was filled with faith. And I'm not going to argue the point that he, I'm not going to say he wasn't. What it was really filled with, because a lot of people are filled with faith, but they have no authority when they try to exercise it. He was filled with authority. Now listen, the reason why, think about what had happened to Peter in just the days and weeks before this incident. He had made some terrible mistakes. He had full, full on repented. He had broken his heart before God. Jesus Jesus wouldn't let him go. Even after he denies him, Jesus meets him up at the shores of Galilee's lake. He doesn't let Peter go. He puts his finger right on him. See, God's wanting to put his finger right on you. And it's not because he wants to see you squirm, but you need to squirm. Do you understand that? You need to squirm. If you go through life avoiding that squirm, you are never going to have any authority. You're never going to have any power in life. You're just going to have what little bit the world will let you have. You don't want to live and die being just another person. You want to fulfill the will and purpose of God. So Peter, Jesus put his finger on and said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. A minute or two later, Peter, do you love me? Uh, yeah, Lord, I already said, yeah, I love you. I'll feed my lambs. Then a third time, Puts his finger right on him and he says, Peter, do you love me? And now Peter, being Peter, says, Lord, I've said it now. This is the third time you know that I love you. And 
Jesus made the point and he said, feed my sheep. Because I tell you, when you're old, some, you're going to end up arrested and you're going to be taken where you don't want to go. And he was signifying by what death he would, he would serve the Lord. But in drawing that response out of Peter, he got Peter to cough the bone up. And Peter was exasperated. Peter, Peter had vomited up all the sourness that was in his soul. He had gotten it all out and he was broken. And I'll tell you, there's no better place for you and I. If you want authority, but you don't want to be broken, you are going to live a lonely life because you're never going to have what you want. If you really want authority in this life, a lot of people want power, but they don't want authority. Authority is responsibility with God. And so Peter had let the Lord break him down and he had uh, surrendered up his own will. And he had let the Lord deal with him so that God's authority was now overwhelming him and overflowing through him. So I really don't believe that it was faith that enabled Peter to give. I really believe it was kingdom authority. When faith doesn't seem to be moving mountains, there's a reason. Because Jesus said, have faith in God. Another translation is have God's kind of faith. Have faith in God. You see, Jesus never taught faith out from under the authority or the lordship of Jesus Christ. And yet the church has taken the subject of faith and has completely clipped it, clipped its umbilical cord and taken it and made it its own standalone message. I call it believism. And then, of course, you know, you think that the, 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 the um, damage to a message like that, or, or because of a message like that, is that people are trying to believe God and it's not happening, so they get discouraged. But honestly, I think that the that the repercussion from that is the greater damage, which is people turn away from faith. That message years ago about standing on the Word of God and calling those things that be as though they were absolute, bold truth. It never stopped being the truth. That is a valid message. And the church has thrown it out. Walked off and abandoned it because they saw mountains not moving. When the whole time, the problem wasn't with faith. The problem was with people who were not under the lordship of Jesus trying to use their faith. And so we reject faith when the problem is authority. Are you listening to me? Any one of us can operate under that kind of authority when Peter said, silver and gold have I none, are we willing to walk in the steps that Peter walked in? Are we willing to be led moment by moment by the Holy Spirit? It does take discipline. If, if you run that test on yourself four or five more times today and then do it a couple of times tomorrow and everything, start making a habit of it, you'll find out it's not easy. It really does take discipline, which by the way, is a derivative of the word the Bible uses to describe what you and I are supposed to be, disciples. So why does Jesus want you to go into all the world? All authority is given to me. Go into all the world and do what? Make 
disciples. What was he saying? I want men and women walking in authority. I want you to walk and have authority. I want, you know, the devil has gotten a hold of this and he has deceived the church for so long that we now have a majority of Christians who give up on the idea of walking in authority. They don't believe God wants them to walk in authority. They don't see themselves going into Walmart, somebody goes, you know, falls out on the floor and standing over them saying, in the name of Jesus, rise. They don't see themselves doing that. Or they think, well, I've got to drum up faith. I've got to really build faith up to be able to do that. Any one of you or your children sitting here this morning can walk in that power in fact, I'll close with this thought. Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom as this little child cannot enter it. When Jesus referred to that little child, he wasn't referring to his gullibility. He was referring to his willingness to be led. He wasn't saying, I want you to be like children because children believe what you tell them. He was saying, I want you to be like children because when you tell them to come with me, they come with you. Hallelujah. And any one of us can have that power and that authority. Stand with me this morning.